the name abide uh, comes from John 15. Uh, and it's, it's a word that Jesus uses or uh, the idea of remaining in him and us remaining in him or him remaining in us and us in him. Uh, and this word describes a relationship. One of our SunWest values is intimacy with God. And we, we've described intimacy with God in our values as leaving time and space uh, for God to speak, for us to talk to God, for God to speak to us. And, and so we've entitled the series Abide because we believe that you know, John 15 is talking about this type of intimate relationship. And I'm, uh, I'm not a botanist or an arborist. Uh, I don't know much about plants, about trees, about helping them to grow. Um, and so I do what every good pastor does when they don't know something, is they type a question into Google. And so I just typed into Google, uh, you know, how does a tree grow, or helping a tree grow, a fruit tree specifically. And these are some things that came up. Uh, fruit trees generally need six hours of sunlight to grow strong and to produce healthy fruit. Um, they must have proper drainage. And so I realized there's this balance actually in getting a tree to grow properly. Um, I typically just drown it in water and hope that something good happens. But apparently that's not good to do. Uh, and so you have to have proper drainage. Uh, it's, it's supposed to get regular water, but the water can't pool. The water's got to be able to escape because if the water pools, then it actually uh, rots the roots, and, uh, but it can't be too dry. So you've got to have proper drainage. You've got to water regularly. Uh, often you have to put organic nutrients into the soil, specifically if your lawn is clay like mine. So it needs some nutrients to go into the soil. Uh, you, if the tree is you know, flimsy, now often people will put stakes in the ground and tie the tree to the stakes and, and it provides a support structure for the tree to grow up straight, for the tree to be uh, tall. Uh, you have to prune it regularly. And so you've got to take off the parts of the tree that aren't producing fruit um, so that uh, it can produce fruit in those places. Uh, and you have to control the weeds because if there's a lot of weeds around the tree, it can actually rob the tree of its nutrients and its water. Um, and uh, so you pluck the weeds, it gives the tree a good opportunity uh, to grow. And so we, we get this idea of fruitfulness, of abiding uh, from John 15. I'll just reference this verse uh, for us. Uh, in verse, John 15, verse 4, it says, Remain in me, I'll remain in you, for a branch cannot produce fruit. It can't be fruitful if it's severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So this metaphor of remaining in Jesus, uh, this metaphor of fruitfulness, it's not just in John 15 we find it. We actually find it uh, throughout the New Testament. And uh, even in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, Paul briefly uses this metaphor and he says, I planted the seed in your hearts and Paul's watered it but it was God who made it grow. So at SunWest, we refer to creating time and space for God to speak. What we're acknowledging is that at the end of the day, we, in and of ourselves, cannot make ourselves grow. We can't make ourselves more fruitful. But we can do some things. We can create an environment. We can create an environment of availability and intentionality. And so my, my boys, a, cu a couple of my boys at different points, 
as they've gone, I don't know if it was grade two or somewhere in there, uh, but they would be given a plant as part of their projects and they would take the plant home. And if any parents have this happen with your kids, right? So they take the plant home and they kind of learn about some of these things in school. And, you know, you got to water the soil, you got to put it in sunlight, and it's got to be in this type of environment. And, uh, and you know, parents, when they get projects like that, they come home, uh, it's like, oh, great, uh, that's a project for me. Because uh, we know that your, your six-year-old is not going to take care of the plant properly. Uh, it's kind of like... It's kind of like parents that get Lego at Christmas. Did I get an amen on that? So, some, how many of you parents spent Le- Christmas Day building Lego? Okay, I would like to say I officially graduated from that era le- this year. Praise the Lord. Um, but, uh, you know, it's like when your kids get something, you're like, well, thanks for giving my kid that. That just took up five hours of my time. Uh, so the kids get the plant, and... You know, they all, we put it, you know, we put it out by the window, we put water in it, and the next day they come, they come down and they look at the plant and they're like, oh, they're so disappointed because there's nothing there. You know, nothing's grown. And it takes them about two days and they give up and they say, this thing doesn't work. Uh, but we as parents, you know, if we, uh, if we actually are mindful of it, uh, if we're married to somebody that is attentive to those types of details, uh, We'll continue to water the plant to put it in the proper environment. And eventually, our boys, you know, after about a week or so, they would look at the plant and they would be amazed that, you know, something miraculous has happened. And we know this intuitively that we can't, I cannot make the plant grow. I can't, I can't make the trees in my backyard grow. But what I can do is control the environment. And so when we think about fruitfulness in our lives... And how would we describe fruit from this? Probably needs a bit of definition. Um, In the New Testament, uh, in Corinthians, Paul talks about the fruits of the Spirit. Sorry, Galatians. uh, The fruits of the Spirit. uh, Love, peace, joy, faithfulness, kindness, self-control, patience, goodness. Some other ones in there. Um, Basically, what Paul is saying is when you abide in Christ, when His Spirit takes root in your lives, that this is the fruit that comes out of your life. And so I would simply ask, in your life, do you find yourself becoming more patient, more kind, you know, more, have a greater level of self-control? Or do you find yourself becoming more bitter, more angry, more, uh, a quicker temper, you're becoming impatient? What is the fruit in your life? Now, we can come to church and say, well, I learned today I got to be more fruitful. And then we go home and we just like, you know, we try and be more fruitful. It, It doesn't matter how hard you try. If you don't create the environment for fruit to happen, it doesn't happen. In the same way, if you have negative fruit growing in your life, it's because of your environment. And if, you don't, if we do not change our day-to-day routines, our day-to-day environments, and expect that we're going to have a different fruit, we've missed something. You know, a tree, I don't know about you, but trees just don't magically appear in my backyard as much as I wish they did. I actually have to dig the hole, I have to go get the tree, I have to do all that stuff we talked about and give the tree the opportunity to succeed. Are you giving yourself the opportunity to have a fruitful relationship with Jesus by the environment you're creating in your life? And how do we create those environments? This isn't rocket science. If you've been at church at any length of time, they're very simple things. Creating time and space for God to speak. Praying. You know, are you, t- are you talking with God regularly? Are you listening for his voice because he wants to talk to you? Are you reading his word? His word is the primary revelation of who he is to us. It's, 
It's part of the way that we know if what we're hearing in our hearts and our minds is God speaking is, is we get to know his word. And it acts as a filter system in that, in that relationship. Are we in community? And not just in relationship with random friends, but are we in intentional community of other people that want to have fruitful lives because they're abiding in Jesus? Have we been a part of God's people? Are we on mission? Are we taking risks because we're following Jesus' leading in our lives? Because as we're obedient to his voice, we, we gain in our capacity to understand and hear his voice. And so these things aren't, they're not rocket science. And many of us, if, if I were to ask you, well, how do we create an environment for, uh, to have a fruitful relationship with Jesus, you would probably be able to tell me um, many of those same things. The question is, are we doing it? And are our lives reflecting the fruit of God's spirit? Um, and it's not, it's not just to that exhaustive list in Galatians. The, you know, fruitfulness is really the question of, are you becoming more and more like Jesus? If Jesus is Lord of your life, if you're in a relationship with him, then we become more like him over time. And it takes time. Uh, Eugene Peterson uses the phrase, a long obedience in the same direction. So just like my kids, we can't get frustrated because he came to church and it's like, man, that didn't work. I'm just as angry today as I was when I went to church yesterday. Um, it's a long obedience in the same direction. It's habits and it's environment and it's giving God the opportunity to create that fruitfulness in our life. Now, abiding and remaining, as I've mentioned, is just, uh, it's just a description, it's just a metaphor to describe this relationship. This whole series is about having a relationship with God and, and really what does that look like. And so um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite a couple of uh, volunteers to the stage with me. We're going to uh, explore this idea of relationship a little bit. So uh, we got some blocks that are going to come to the stage. We've got Calvin and Lorenda, give them a hand. Um, we got Dalen and Crystal. And, and, and so this was my, this, this was my initial idea, but I, I wasn't sure if this was, we'll see how this works. Um, but I want to make sure my point is made. So, um, I'm going to invite Brent Johansson. Yeah, I didn't talk to him. That's you, Brent. Um, and Cindy Spearin, right behind him. You've you got to give them an extra hand because they had no idea this was coming. <clears throat> All right, you guys can come spread out here in the light. Uh, come out of the darkness into the light. You guys have been to weddings, right? And, you know, every time you go to a wedding, most of the times they play this, this thing called the shoe game, right? Um, and so what I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask is, Kelly and Lorena, you guys go back to back. Uh, maybe a bit more over here. Yeah. Back to back here. You guys come back to back. And you guys are back-to-back. -back. So just to be clear, these two aren't married. Um, I didn't run this by Paul, so he's way bigger than I am. I should have picked a different uh, lady. Uh, so, so what I'm going to do is uh, I need people to keep score here. Uh, Jeff, you're going to keep track of how many... No, you don't, don't take your shoes off. We'll, we'll, um, please spare me and all of us in this... <laughs> Uh, so we're going to say that the, the male uh, is the hand that's closest to the audience, okay? Female is the hand closest to the screen. And so they're going to get points when they're in agreement on the question. So if, if Brent and Cindy both put up the male hand, that's a point for them, and you keep track of the points, 
Okay? If they put up opposite hands, uh, then it's no points. Yes? Is it okay if I look at the screen to make sure oh. you have the right answer? Yeah, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. Let's, uh, can, we, uh, can we not have that on the screen? Or, or you guys, okay. close your eyes. Yeah, let's just do that. We'll test their Christian character, their fruitfulness of their relationship with Jesus. Um, okay, and uh, yeah, does that, oh, I, I need to get people to keep track of Dale and Crystal in the middle row. M, you can do it? You, you're good at that? No conflict of interest with your dad up here? Okay, so uh, you're, when they're in agreement, you keep track. And then someone from here, uh, Chris Steffen is an engineer. He'll make sure to get this right. Uh, so when they're in agreement, they get it right. You, what's that? No, I already, I already got it. Okay, so question. Eyes closed. Who spends more time on Facebook. Oh, sorry. Okay, you got it. Hands down. Uh, who is more likely to get a traffic ticket? <laughs> more likely, or who has more? <laughs> 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 who? Uh, who loses things the most? Yeah, Brent. That's me or you or Cindy, yeah? Oh, okay. Did you just cheat? Did you just cheat, Brent? No, he just cheated. Eliminate that. That one doesn't count, Jeff. Um, who watches the most TV? All right. Uh, who is more likely to kill a spider? <clears throat> Who's the one that's going to squeeze the toothpaste for every last ounce to make sure it's actually out? Okay. Who buys the best gifts? Brent, are your eyes closed? Close your eyes, Brent. Um, who has the craziest family? <laughs> who has to have the final words in an argument? <laughs> Who's more likely to skip church on a Sunday? <laughs> uh, who's the better kisser? I know the right answer. <laughs> who's the biggest baby when they're sick? And finally, who has better hair? All right, let's give him a hand. Thanks, guys. We're going to find out right now. Okay. Five? Okay. Twelve? Eight. 
All right, so Dalen and Crystal, take it. That's exactly why I got the other couple up. I, uh, so it didn't quite work out like I had hoped. Um, but uh, Brent and Cindy made sure that the analogy worked, so thank you all for participating. Uh, but obviously, the, the point of what I'm doing is, is simply suggesting that if I were to just ask them a question about the other person, the people that have uh, known each other the longest, thanks Cal and Lorinda for wrecking that for me, but hypothetically, <laughs> the folks that have known each other the longest, um, see each other the most, have the most intimate relationship, probably are aware of the, more of the details and how uh, and the differences and how the other person would answer the question uh, versus uh, Cindy and Brent who know each other. Uh, how often do you guys see each other? Once a week. And, um, but uh, other than that, uh, they don't know a whole lot about each other. I would say Jesus is inviting us to have an intimate relationship with him. Not one that we just kind of know about him, have some ideas about him. We could take a guess about, you know, what God thinks about this. Uh, uh, but it's an intimate relationship where we're actually on the same page as him, where we're aligned with him. In the book of John, in John 15, uh, John is describing this type of relationship when he used the word Abide. And John isn't just speaking about an idea. He's not just saying, you know, it would be great if, if, you know, if somebody had a relationship like this with Jesus. He's actually speaking from his personal experience because John did have an intimate relationship with Jesus. Apart from Jesus, he knew that I could do nothing. Apart from him, I can't be fruitful. And so we're going to take a look at John this morning. And I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to uh, John chapter 13. And I'm just going to look at a few different passages where we get an insight into the type of relationship that John had with Jesus. John 13, verse 21, says, Now Jesus was deeply troubled, and he exclaimed, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at each other, wondering whom he could mean, The disciple Jesus loved was sitting next to Jesus at the table. Simon Peter mentioned to him to ask, who's he talking about? So that disciple leaned over to Jesus and asked, Lord, who is it? Jesus responded, it is the one to whom I give the bread I dip in the bowl. And when he had dipped it, he gave it to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. When Judas had eaten the bread, Satan entered into him. Then Jesus told him, hurry and do what you're going to do. None of the others at the table knew what Jesus meant. So John's right here in the middle of the story. Did you guys, did you guys see his name there? Where, where's John in the story? The disciple that Jesus loved. And we know this because at the end of the gospel of John, we, we know that the one, the disciple whom Jesus loved was the one that wrote the book of John. Um, so without getting into rabbit, there, there's some controversy that the book of John may be written by another disciple or somebody else, uh, but historically it's been understood that John was the one that wrote the book. So we are just going to, we're going to go with that, but what we know is that the disciple whom Jesus loved is the one that wrote 
this fourth gospel. So is this a term of, you know, bragging? Is this a, you know, is this John kind of like, hey, this is the, check out the relationship I got with Jesus. I'm the one that he loves and he loves no one else. Uh, or is this a fact? Is, this, is John just simply stating a fact? You know, I believe that John, because he never names himself, uh, is not as interested in bragging or elevating himself as much as he's just telling the reality of his experience with Jesus. Jesus loves me, and I know that. And so confidently he writes himself into his gospel as the one whom Jesus loved. And we, we see this phrase six times in the gospel of John. This is the first time here in, in chapter 13. And so we're going to look at a few of those, those times. But the first one here, John 13, 21 and 26, it's described that the one who Jesus loved was sitting next to Jesus at the table. And this actually does a disservice to what is actually happening because the word sitting here is actually uh, means reclining, leaning, lying on the bosom of Jesus, the head of John on Jesus' chest, listening to Jesus' heartbeat. That John had this type of relationship where they're here at this meal and they're reclining, and John is lying on the chest of Jesus. In fact, it reminds me, um, when, a, when a mother gives birth to a child, often in the hospital, what do they do? They put the baby on the chest of the mom. Why do they do this? For a bond to happen between mother and child. There's a, there's a chemical in the brain that gets released when that happens called oxytocin. In fact, uh, and oxytocin is known as the bonding chemical. In fact, the oxytocin is being released through pregnancy uh, in, in the mother. And so that's why when a baby is born, as a side note, and um, other men can attest to this, the baby comes out and it's slimy, looks very alien-like, and it's like, do you want to hold it? You're like, yeah, 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 I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> And the mom looks at it and is like, that's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in the world. Give me the baby. And, and everybody else in the world is like, that's, you know, you look at like, you know, kittens and like those things are cute. But humans, I'm not, I, anyways, whatever. Uh, because the mom has this bonding chemical, oxytocin, that's already been at work and a bond has been created even before childbirth with her child. It's also why hospitals um, are increasingly... Um, allowing the, the father or asking the father to have skin-to-skin -skin contact after childbirth as well because that creates a bonding of oxytocin uh, between the baby and the dad uh, as well. So maybe this image isn't working for some of you. Um, just so you know that oxytocin is also at work uh, when you go out shooting guns with your friends. <laughs> That's scientific fact. If you go out and shoot guns with a buddy... Uh, that experience, oxytocin is released, and it serves as a bonding thing, and if there's something that happens, and that's, that's great. So uh, I knew the first metaphor might not work for everybody, so let's, uh, let's cover our bases here. So John has this, he has like this intimate head on chest, skin to skin, listening to the heartbeat of Jesus type of relationship. I remember when... Um, 
when our first son was born, Joel, and Joel would cry at night, um, and Lisa would get up with him constantly when he's crying. And she would just be amazed that I could just sleep through it, like, so easily. Um, and so she was, like, 99% of the time she got up with Joel. But, uh, and that, that arrangement worked really, really well for me. I, I, it was an easy, easy time in my life. Um, but it got a little bit more complicated when we had our second son, Luke. And Luke, uh, when he would cry at night, uh, and then Joel would cry... Uh, it created, uh, yeah, just an unsustainable lifestyle for my wife. And so we, we made this arrangement. <laughs> From now on, you are going to get up with Joel, and I will get up with Luke. Uh, that made sense to me. And so over time, it's amazing what happened. Uh, Joel would cry in the ev- at night, and I would wake up like that. Lisa would sleep through it. And then Luke would cry. And I'd sleep through it. I didn't even notice Luke. And then she'd wake up and in a second when Luke was crying. And in the morning, we'd be like, oh, it's such a rough night. And it's like, oh, I slept really good. Oh, didn't you hear Joel was crying? Oh, I didn't even notice Joel was crying. And, and what happened is we actually tuned into the voice of our own kids. Now, I didn't sit down there. I didn't study. Um, you know, I didn't start comparing Luke's voice and Joel's voice and like, comparing the different waveforms and trying to figure out how they're different uh, compared with all the other kids in the world. Uh, just, I just tuned in to my one kid, to Joel. Jesus describes this type of tuning in in a relationship with him, this type of intimacy. Um, you know, elsewhere in John, he, he describes this relationship uh, like a shepherd to a sheep. My sheep know my voice and they listen to my voice. They recognize my voice, and they follow me because I'm their shepherd. And if a stranger comes and they speak to my sheep, they actually don't recognize the stranger's voice. And so Jesus describes his relationship with his disciples, with his followers, that we're, we're actually tuned in to the, the person of Jesus, the voice of Jesus, that we're quickly easy, we, we can easily recognize his voice when we hear it. And so in this passage in John 13... We, we see this disciple that Jesus loved, John, lying at the table, lying, reclining with Jesus, having this type of intimate relationship with Jesus that I think was so unique even in comparison to the other disciples because what happens in this story, in, the, in, this, in, in this account, is we have Simon Peter, who we all know. So Simon Peter is like Mr. Water Walker, Mr. First One to respond to every question. He's that annoying kid in class that, you know, well, he doesn't even put up his hand. He just shouts out the answer. Uh, that's Peter. As soon as, he, as soon as he finds out something's real, he just, like, jumps on board. He's like, oh, okay, I'm there. He's, he, he is your type A leader personality, and we all know him, and we know stories about him because that's the type of person he was. But Peter himself in this story, I want you to notice this, because Jesus says, if someone's going to betray me, Peter's like, oh, I wonder who that is. And they're sitting around the table together. And Peter, instead of asking Jesus himself, Peter doesn't say, hey, Jesus, who are you talking about? He says, hey, John, John, ask Jesus who he's talking about. Why does Peter ask John to ask Jesus? Because Peter knows that John has this relationship with Jesus that Peter himself doesn't even have. That John can get something out of Jesus that Peter can't. That John is the one that's reclining, listening to the heartbeat of Jesus, and Peter's on the other side of the table. 
And what's also fascinating is, is this word that we just skip over when we're reading the text. It says, the disciple Jesus loved was sitting next to Jesus at the table. Say was. We don't often think about a word like that. But what's, I would guess, I would say convicting and fascinating to me is that the position of John before the question is one of reclining in line with Jesus. That John does not wait for Peter to say, hey, John, can you ask Jesus about this? He's like, oh yeah, I got to recline with Jesus to get the answer that, John, that Peter's asking for. The position of John was one of intimacy before the question ever came. For me, and maybe for you, I find that often in my life, I try and lean into Jesus when I need something from him. Crisis hits in your life, it's like, man, I need some God in my life. I got to lie down and, you know, develop my relationship with God because I'm really struggling right now. Or I have a question or there's a, there's a decision I need to make and, oh, so I better lean into Jesus because, uh, Jesus, I need help on this decision that I need to make. Can you tell me what to do? And that, to me, is kind of like just putting the, the plant out on the table and being like, why isn't it growing? Why is nothing happening? This expectation of immediacy, when we all know that that fruitfulness is actually dependent on a long obedience in the same direction. It's actually dependent on an ongoing environment. That John had this level of intimacy that preceded this incident that allowed him to get the answer from Jesus that Peter was asking. So, are you like Peter? Um, that you're dependent on somebody else's relationship with Jesus to get what you need? Or do you have that relationship yourself? Do we wait until crisis hits or we have a question or we need an answer from God to actually pray to spend time with him? Or is, is our relationship um, actually more authentic than that? It's a regular environment. It's a regular way of living. We're constantly leaning in. We're constantly creating time and space. Regardless if our life... Uh, is going up or down or what season of life we're in. It's just this environment that we're regularly sitting in. This is the type of relationship we see from John, one that abides and remains in him. Uh, let's look at John 19. Another, another example where we see the phrase, uh, the disciple who Jesus loved. John 19, verse 26. Oh, starting 25. Standing at the cross where Jesus' mother... His mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, Dear woman, here is your son. And he said to his disciple, Here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her into his home. So a couple of just quick observations about John 19 here is, they're standing at the cross, there's these three other ladies, Jesus' mother included, and there's John. Where are the other disciples? Well, we know if you read uh, previous to that and the other accounts of the Gospels, the other disciples actually took off. You know, when they, they expected, you know, a certain Jesus to be kind of a certain way and they didn't expect this crucifixion thing to happen and it was kind of this intense atmosphere and it's like probably easier if we kind of distance ourselves from Jesus a little bit. And so when push came to shove, the people around Jesus in that moment on the cross are these three ladies and this disciple whom Jesus loved. 
Peter, remember him, the water walker? The one who has all the right answers? The one who was going to defend Jesus pulls out a sword. There's no way you're going to take... There's no way you're going to take Jesus. The one who says to Jesus, it doesn't matter what happens, Jesus, I'm with you all the way to the end. He's like, no, you're actually going to deny me three times. No, I, I would never do that. Yes, you did that. Now, I don't want to knock, like Peter's an important character, uh, um, so I don't want to knock him too badly, but we can see that in this instant, when push came to shove, that he denied Jesus and he wasn't there at the cross. The other disciples weren't there. That when life got rough, it was this disciple who had this unique, intimate relationship with Jesus, who was there with his mother, didn't abandon Jesus. Peter's gone. Disciples are gone. And what's fascinating in this part of, of the gospel account is that Jesus entrusts his own mother to John and John to his mother. That I believe that the Lord will entrust to those who are, intimate, who are in intimate relationship with him that which is most precious to him. The Lord cares deeply about things. Jesus cares deeply about things and about people. Uh, And often, you know, we want God to trust us with stuff. Lord, give me this opportunity. Give me this this position. Give me this ability to to lead. Give me, you know, whatever. Uh, But God will only entrust that which is most precious to him to those that are most intimate with him. And Jesus gives John his very own mother and says, take care of my mother. I trust her to you. Because I have a level of trust and relationship with you that I don't have with others. John 21. Verse 4. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach. So this is after his resurrection. So many of the disciples were fishermen. They were fishermen before Jesus called them, and then Jesus says, you know, come with me, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. They follow Jesus, and when things don't quite pan out, it doesn't take very long until they're back doing what? Fishing again. (laughs) So they could kind of go back to life as it was. They're fishing. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, or in the Greek it says, children. Children, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped from work, jumped into the water, and headed to shore. So just as another observation here, we see the revelation comes to who? John. Peter listens to John, revelation said, it's Jesus, I'm off. Thanks, John. Thanks for helping me out again with the answer. Um, so the, the revelation is given to John again. This one of intimate relationship. This one, I don't know what it was about Jesus that, um, that he recognized as the Lord. It could have been the vo- his voice. It could have been, you know, what he saw. It could have been the miracle itself. But whatever, whatever it was, John was the first one to say, that's Jesus. I know Jesus. Peter jumps in. Uh, the other stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to shore, <clears throat> for they were only about 150 yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire, and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. So again, 
John recognizes Jesus' voice, and Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. They, they listen to me. They'll recognize me. John recognizes Jesus, the disciple who Jesus loved. And then we have this account of, you know, they're fishing on one side of the boat, and it's not working for them. They've been fishing all day. They're not having any success. They're not catching any fish. And then Jesus says, throw your net on the other side of the boat. And so they listen to the voice of Jesus. They throw their net on the other side of the boat, and they catch 153 fish. Now, I believe this moment in John's gospel is significant. It's significant because the word that's being used here when it says they drag the net to shore, you know, or, you know, to pull something, to haul something, uh, is the Greek word elko. And this word is used in John in chapter 6, verse 44, and it says, no one can come to me except those who are drawn, those who are pulled, those who are hauled, dragged <clears throat> by my Father. <clears throat> John 12, 32, and Jesus says, when I am lifted up, when I'm resurrected, um, I will draw all people to myself. I will bring, I will haul all people to myself. And then again here, John uses the word. And when we, when we kind of think about this concept in relation to the fact that Jesus called the disciples to be fishers of men, <clears throat> I think this incredible picture starts to be painted for us. 153. That was the number at that time. Uh, it, it represented the amount of known fish species. You know, they, they believed that there was 153 types of fish And yet, when they took the 153 fish, the net hadn't torn. So let, let me just kind of put some of these pieces together here. <clears throat> I believe what's happening in John's gospel, um, and what we will see happen as the New Testament unfolds, is that up until this point, Jesus and God had a, spe- a, a very special, unique relationship with a select few individuals in Scripture. John being one of them. On top of that, the Jews themselves had a unique position with God in Scripture. But it became a point in God's plan and his, what we would call salvation history and what he was doing, that he said, we're doing something new. And in, in some ways, it was like, for, his, for all of history, they'd been doing this thing on this side of the boat. And then Jesus says, now we're doing something new. Throw your net on the other side of the boat. And when they threw it on the other side of the boat, represented in that net was every type of species of fish. And represented in the metaphor that Jesus called his disciples from in the very beginning, that I'm going to make you fishers of men, is this this concept that's evolved, and you'll, you'll see this unfold as a New Testament as we get into the book of Acts, is that the accessibility to a relationship with God in this unique way that John had becomes available not only to people like John, but to every single person that would want it. That every single one of us can actually recline with Jesus, listen to the heartbeat of Jesus. That's why, also why Jesus says, you know, I'm leaving, and it's better for you that I leave, because when I leave, the Holy Spirit, my Spirit's actually going to come. When I'm here in my incarnate body in this finite form, I can actually only have a couple of these types of relationships. But when I leave and the Spirit is actually made available to every human being, every type of person, this relationship is actually becomes available to all. 
And as a side note, we belong to a faith tradition that has protected that, uh, that belief and that concept um, for the last 500 years, that we believe very deeply that, that God hasn't chosen specific individuals for a specific um, type of relationship that isn't available to everybody. We believe in what, what is known as the priesthood of all believers, that every single person can have access to God. That me as a pastor actually is no different than you. And this 153 is all-encompassing. And so I don't know you. I don't know your story. I don't know where you come from. You know, maybe you grew up going to church your whole life. Maybe you walked away from God. Maybe you've never known God. You know, maybe, you know, we even reflect on Casey's story that we heard earlier this morning that you've, you've had the season, you know, where you've gone this way or that you've been in this place of darkness. But, you, you know, it doesn't matter what your story is. The good news that is given to us in John is that the relationship, John says, that I've had with Jesus is the relationship that he wants with you. Do you want it? And what I find incredible is that John keeps himself nameless through his whole gospel. If I was writing this gospel, Lord in his wisdom chose not to have me write a gospel. Um, but if I, was writing the, if I was writing a gospel and this was me, I'd be like, you know, Peter asked me to ask Jesus. And I had this relationship with Jesus that he didn't. And so I told, you know, I asked Jesus and Jesus told me that. Check that out. I would, I would be putting myself in the story. I would want people to know, like, hey, check out this relationship that Jesus and I have. But what I, what I find so challenging is that, and true, is that those who have the most intimate relationship with Jesus are those who are least interested in showing people that they have an intimate relationship with Jesus. That it, those who are willing to be nameless, to be anonymous, to, to actually create an environment of relationship when nobody is looking and nobody cares and you're at home by yourself, you're away at work, uh, out of town on a trip, and you're staying in a hotel, and, and th those places where you're anonymous, you're nameless, nobody knows you, those are the places that intimacy with God is formed. Intimacy with God isn't formed in the public forum. It's not formed when you go to small group. It's not formed when you show up at church on a Sunday. There's, there's no doubt that those things can help, uh, but those things cannot do relationship for you. Relationship for you happens in the nameless, anonymous places of your life. And so when we look at John... And, and John says, this relationship is for you. I get excited, but then I, then I take a step back and I say, do I create the time and space in those anonymous, nameless places where nobody is looking to actually just pour into my relationship with Jesus, no strings attached? And if I'm completely honest, it's, it, it, it is, as someone who, who, uh, who talks to people about God, this is something that I have to watch my heart very carefully on because I could read my Bible. I was like, oh, that's good. That, that, that'll preach on Sunday. I think that's good for people. And, and I, I go very quickly to, to if this will be something helpful for somebody else versus just resting in, oh, this is actually just about me and Jesus and nobody else. I'm going to invite the band to the stage. Um,
Are you creating the environment for this relationship? Are you like Peter? Um, you know, maybe you're showing up at church or you're, you're dependent on my relationship with Jesus to actually give you what you need. And that's okay for a season, but at the end of the day, God wants you to have, a, have a, that unique, intimate relationship with him. Um, I'm also going to invite our, our prayer teams forward. Um, you can come to the front. And uh, if during this last song or after the last song, if you would like prayer for anything, uh, we invite you to come forward. We'd love to pray for you. Um, I don't think that I can actually talk about this relationship with Jesus without giving people an opportunity to respond to it. Um, and so I would just simply ask, you know, if, if you're in this, a place this morning where you say, uh, I want that relationship with Jesus. I want that level of intimacy. And maybe you're someone who's never made that decision to say, hey, Jesus, I want that level of intimacy with you. And this might be the first time. Um, I would encourage you to respond and to God's calling in your life, what he's lead, leading you in right now. Um, but maybe you've just been stuck in routine and you've actually, um, you feel like you're kind of like Peter, that you're around Jesus. You kind of know some stuff about him. But at the end of the day, you're depending on someone else's relationship with him. And Jesus wants to move beyond that with you. And so if, if you're in that place this morning, I would actually, even right now, just invite you to stand up and uh, just as a response to what Jesus is doing in your heart right now and saying, yeah, Jesus, I, wanna, I want that type of relationship with you. I just I think if you feel the stirring of the spirit of God's spirit calling you into that deeper place it's, it's, it's good to to respond to him for you. Just wait another second here if there's anyone else that would like to respond. And what I what I'm gonna do actually is I'm gonna I'm gonna encourage I'm gonna get our prayer folks to actually move away from the front. Um, go stand beside somebody. I know there's more people than we have prayer folks and that's okay. Um, but our prayer folks kind of go out, stand beside somebody. If you're around somebody and you're okay just to lay a hand on them, um, we'd like to pray for you. thank you for these individuals that uh, even just in this moment have said uh, I want this relationship with God this relationship with Jesus that John had 
I'm not content in my life just to be dependent on other people, having a relationship with him. I'm not content just knowing about God, but I want to know you, God. Jesus, I want to hear your heartbeat. I want to hear your voice. Um, I don't want my relationship with you to be dependent on a crisis or a decision. Um, I just want this day-to-day, hour-to-hour, intimate connection with you. So, Father, we thank you that that has happened. Jesus, we thank you that you went to the cross, that you were resurrected, that you ascended and sent your spirit so that we could actually walk in relationship with you in a way that those before us would be jealous of. We thank you that what you had with John is actually what you are giving to us. And so, Jesus, we lean into you and we recognize that you're here with us. And so we say, Lord, grow in us. Make us more like you. Bring fruitfulness to our lives. Lord, increase our capacity to hear you as your sheep and to follow your voice. Increase the confidence that we have, Lord, that we are your children. We're your sons and your daughters. And it doesn't matter where we've been or what we've done, Lord. This is just the position that you've put us in. And so we say thank you. And we lean in. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand with us as we close in a song together. So this relationship with John, that John can so confidently say, I'm the disciple that Jesus loves. And it's not this boastful thing, but it's just a factual reality, is what God wants for each of us. And that title, that description can be yours. And that is the, that's the good news that we have in Scripture is that this is what God is actually inviting each of us to. That we can walk and we can live and we can move about and have this confidence in our lives that I am the disciple who Jesus loves. And that we live out of that relationship, out of that richness. And so I pray that you sense uh, this week his presence with you, his pleasure upon you, his invitation to intimacy that you would lean into him, that you would learn to hear his voice in a greater way, not because you have to, because you want to, not because other people are looking, but because this is just this unique relationship that you have with Jesus. And it invades all the little crevices of your life. So Jesus, we just thank you again uh, for what you've done. We thank you that you're here with us. And we thank you that we have the privilege to walk in this type of relationship with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for coming. We'll see you guys next week as we continue uh, the Abide series.